Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Jimmy Coonan. I'm a member of the Carpenters Local 314. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on work possible. Hi, I'm Rebecca Meyer Rao of Worker Justice Wisconsin. Today, we get union leadership's reaction to the state legislature's underhanded move to force culture war changes at UW, check in with postal workers during this stressful holiday season, learn more about UAW's organizing strategy, offer our annual Fantasy and Lights review, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. University of Wisconsin Board of Regents initially voted to reject a proposal where state Republicans would release already earmarked funds for the, to the UW system in exchange for defunding diversity, equity, and inclusion programs on the UW campuses and other related political demands. Several days later, the UW Board of Regents held private meetings and then convened to vote again on the same proposal. This time, the proposal passed. Chad Allen Goldberg is a UW-Madison sociology professor and the president of the United Faculty and Academic Staff, AFT Local 223. He is also the secretary of AFT Wisconsin. Goldberg offers a background on the agreement. Note that this interview was conducted prior to the second vote. There's been a standoff for months between the Republican-controlled legislature and the University of Wisconsin system. A modest pay raise for state employees was included in the biennial budget that was passed over the summer that was approved by the full legislature and signed by Governor Evers. But the Joint Committee on Employment Relations has been blocking the implementation of the pay raise for University of Wisconsin employees. So it allowed the pay raise to go forward for other state workers after some delay, but it has continued to block the pay raise for University of Wisconsin employees. Wisconsin Assembly Speaker Robin Voss has been quite candid about the reasons. The reason is basically to force the University of Wisconsin system to implement changes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI programs on campus that Republicans in the legislature would like to eliminate, which they've tried to eliminate, but they don't have the political power to do it. They were able to include it in the budget. What they wanted to do was eliminate it through the line item veto by Governor Evers. They don't have the votes to override the veto. So what they're essentially doing is holding University of Wisconsin employees hostage as they try to achieve these goals in other ways. It's a kind of political blackmail. The latest developments, the UW system president, Jay Rothman, negotiated a kind of compromise deal with Robin Voss and other Republican legislative leaders. That was last week. It was brought to the Board of Regents for approval last Saturday. Many people expected the board to approve it, even though there was quite a lot of very vocal opposition to it. 
But then in a very dramatic turn of events, the board rejected the deal by a very close nine to eight vote last Saturday. This is a really troubling and problematic way of trying to achieve political goals. These are political goals that the union is opposed to. The union has been very vocal in its support of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. And we've been insisting that we want the pay raises, which have already been approved. Republicans like Robin Voss are trying to make this an either or. And again, they're trying to do this outside of the normal policymaking process. What do you know about this deal? The details of the deal are available on the Board of Regents website. There's a number of elements to the deal, basically in order for the university to get the pay raises that have, again, already been approved in order to get some funds for some much needed building projects, which were also withheld. The UW system is being required to do a number of things. That includes freezing the number of DEI positions. One good thing about this is that it doesn't involve any layoffs or elimination of positions, but there is a freeze that would be put in place. In addition, the university is being asked, well, my campus in particular, UW-Madison, is being asked to commit to seeking outside donor support for a new faculty position to teach conservative political thought, classical economic theory, or classical liberalism. And there's a few other things in the deal. Where is this coming from? I actually don't think there's a lot of public support for this. I think this plays well for his political base. There is a kind of concerted and nationwide culture war that Republicans have been engaging in for some time now with the universities as a target. I think most people understand the fundamental unfairness of what's going on. The deal that Jay Rothman made with Robin Voss, the union was not consulted. We had no role. This is one of the many flaws of the deal and of the process. It's been very insular. It's made by people at the top. It's made without the input of the people who are affected by the deal. There was no input from faculty, staff, or students about this. Had they tried to come up with a solution that involved input from all these people in which we had a role in decision-making, I think you would have had a very different kind of solution. And I think it would have been a much better solution. That was Chad Allen Goldberg. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Madison Labor Radio. On October 31st of this year, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers sued the Wisconsin State Legislature for violating the state constitution in several ways. Labor Radio reports. The impetus or final straw prompting Governor Evers' lawsuit was the ongoing refusal to pay UW system faculty and staff their already approved cost of living wage increases unless they abandon diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, positions and initiatives on the campuses. Here is Governor Evers speaking on the matter in October. Republicans decided that 35,000 people that work for the UW system shouldn't get a raise without having any legislation that gives them that authority. That's just bull And so that was the defining moment right there. Sources indicate that the lawsuit will continue despite the recent agreement between the UW Regents and Wisconsin Republican legislators, an agreement that will allow the pay increases to go through in exchange for concessions on DEI on the UW campuses. Kim Kohlhaas, president of AFT Wisconsin, addresses the problem with the process on how this agreement transpired and the need to challenge that process. Regent John Miller, I think, said it best, is this is not something the regents should ever have been given. This is the failure of 
joint finance to do their job. And they put the regents in a position where they had to compromise programming in order to get the funding that had already been voted upon by our state legislators. I don't think this is good government. Remember, Republicans voted for this budget. Republicans voted for this 4% salary increase for UW faculty. And it was joint finance who refused to put it on their agenda. So this is undermining every single elected official that was in this state. And I think it is an absolutely dangerous way to do government. Do you know the status now of the Evers and Josh Call lawsuit? The lawsuit was addressing the fact that the process of how we are governing right now, where you have one or two people from a represented district, not state elected, that is controlling all business and how it gets done, I think is very dangerous. We have a government that is designed with checks and balances, and they're undermining that. What can listeners do? I think we have to really be careful about what happens in our local governments. The Board of Regents is a governing body that is supposed to have autonomy over running the systems that they represent. And the government stepped in and told them how they were going to do it. I'm fearful that we're going to see a pattern of this throughout the state. The lawsuit also asked the court to decide the constitutionality of other obstructive measures on the part of Republican legislators that Evers claims are attempts to interfere with the basic duties and functions of the executive branch. These include blocking conservation projects under the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program and updates to the state's commercial building standards and ethics standards for certain licensed professionals. The claim is that, quote, Republican legislators are unconstitutionally obstructing basic functions of government, end quote. We heard from Kim Kohlhaas, president, AFT Wisconsin. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Madison Labor Radio. Fantasy and Lights is back and better than ever. Our reviewers, Rocco and Emilio, share their thoughts with you. Thursday, Rocco, an eighth grader, and his brother Emilio, pre-kindergarten, toured the Madison Fantasy and Lights to bring you this evaluation. They are speaking with producer Frank M. Spack as they drove through the fantasy, starting with the remarkable Tunnel of Light. Does it look better than last year? I'd say this year it definitely does look better than last year. More stuff. Tunnel. The entrance tunnel. Spectacular as usual. I see a train. I see something. I see castle. See the castle up ahead? I see a train. I see some reindeer. Wow. I see a potion walking. I see another castle. I see a big tree. Do you see a big castle? I see a snowman. I see two snowmen. I was gonna say that. I see, I see di- two dinosaurs. I see some flamingos. I see some dinosaurs. Look at those dinosaurs. I see one is 
dressed up in a bowl. You get dressed up in a bowl. I think so. Maybe Snoopy. Maybe Snoopy. Snoopy. Maybe Snoopy's pulling a dinosaur. I see some candy canes. I see some reindeer. I see a yeti. Christmas I see a potion. Tree. I see a Christmas tree. I see a snowman. I see a snowman tipping his hat. Penguins attracted a more detailed scrutiny. Some penguins. Muriel, look at that. Penguins. Oh, I see penguins. penguins. Just like in the penguin book. Oh, yeah, just like in the penguin book. Yeah, just like in the penguin book. I see a tree, a white tree with a white top. I see an American flag. I see some ice skaters. Yeah. I wish I could ice skate right now. The Capitol building also seemed to attract attention. See the Capitol building? I see the Capitol building and the Capitol building behind the Capitol building. I see two capitals. Other capital is there and the other capital is there. I see some I panda. Flamingos were also a hit. Flamingos? I see some elves that should probably not be gambling. I see, see a mouse. I think that's an elf, Emilio. I think it's a mouse. Well, you can think it's a mouse if you want to. Trunk. I see some kids sledding. And some more kids skiing. No, that. And I see, I see a sleigh. I see Santa. I see Santa's sleigh right up, right there. And I saw Santa. Oh look, a big teddy bear. I already, I already saw the big teddy wow. bear. Wow, there's yeah. a slice of cheese right there. Huh? I'm hungry. What do you think? You think as good as last year? I think it's better. The Fantasy and Lights is at Olin Park and open from dusk to dawn from now to New Year's Day. It is free. All are welcome. Candy canes are available at the exit booths from 4.30 to 10. Sponsors include the Electric Group, and the IBW Local 159. The exit booths are manned by members of IBEW Local 2304, including the staff of WORT. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Labor was part of a march in Madison in support of Palestine and took action this week at UW. Greg Jaboski has more. As of today, the number of deaths in Gaza are approaching or have surpassed 20,000 as the United States-supported Israeli military assault continues, now having expanded to Rafah on the southern border of the Gaza Strip, an area where Israel had previously ordered civilians to move in a purported call for safety. Last Saturday afternoon, December 9th, a statewide rally and march in support of Palestinians was held in Madison. The crowd, which packed an entire block around Capitol Square as the march began from the State Street corner, included union members and healthcare workers who held some of the most prominent banners. Here's Rory Donovan, a UPS worker and member of the Teamsters Local 344, speaking Saturday in front of the East Washington Street offices of the powerful Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce Business Lobby. When workers in Wisconsin fought back against attacks on our union rights, it was the same business lobby groups that were targeting us. The same billionaire interests that prop up racist Israeli settler regime are the ones who want to strip our right to organize in the workplace and community here in Wisconsin. As a UPS teamster, our union took on one of the biggest corporations and won a historic contract this summer. So I know that when we fight, we win. 
Labor Radio spoke today to Jacob Flom, a delegate to the Milwaukee Area Federation of Labor and president of AFSCME Local 526, which represents workers in the Milwaukee Public Museum, who described the feelings of organizers and participants to the march this week. People felt like this was a historic march because of the turnout, because of the labor participation. We've definitely never seen uh, Palestine Solidarity action this large in the state of Wisconsin ever. I think there was thousands of people out in the streets of Madison around the Capitol. And organized labor was excited. The labor contingent with Wisconsin Labor for Palestine was really excited about the turnout of trade unionists. We had a contingent of healthcare workers, many of whom were trade unionists. We're very excited that we're bringing that new level of organization within the workers' movement and connecting that with international solidarity with Palestine. Actions in support of Palestinians continued after Saturday. On Monday, a global one-day strike, hastily called by Palestinian labor leaders in condemnation of U.S. veto in the U.N. of a vote for a Gaza ceasefire, coincided with a planned University of Wisconsin walkout. Labor Radio spoke Tuesday to Clara Molina Blanco, a participant in Monday's walkout, a graduate student worker represented by the Teaching Assistance Association, the TAA, and an organizer for workers' strike back. Um, Monday, things happen simultaneously, although they were planned separately, for a walkout to demand the UW system disinvest from BlackRock, which has massive investments in companies that are in Israel. And one of their major investments is for a company that manufactures weapons that are being used by the Israeli army in Gaza right now. Now, on Sunday, there was an international call for a strike to demand a ceasefire for Gaza, and both of them just happened to fall on the same day. This action was not without consequences. On Tuesday, the day after the walkout, Labor Radio has learned that the UW administration in Madison sent emails to at least two departments, though addressed to all, that read in part, quote, Please remind the members of your unit that engaging in political activities during the hours when an employee is expected to be performing scheduled university duties is prohibited. The message was presumed to be in response to the action of the day before. At airtime, we do not know if walkout participants faced any discipline beyond this warning. Despite examples of this and other pushback, Flom says labor support of Palestinians will continue. Coming out of this event, we talked about a lot of ideas that we have for continuing the work of trade unionists relating to Palestine. Joe Biden will be coming to Milwaukee on Wednesday, so we're looking forward to countering his message about Bidenomics and saying, you know, if you want to be the most pro-worker president in history, you can't be killing unionists and Palestinians in Gaza. So there's, I think, a lot of opportunities for the Palestine Solidarity Movement and trade unionists in particular to continue building on what we started with the statewide march on December 9th. That was Jacob Flom, president of Ask Me Local 526. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. The Christmas season can be a stressful time for the postal employees. Keith Steffen spoke with a letter carrier to find out more about the postal working conditions. The carriers asked that their voice not be recorded in order to avoid any possible disciplines. 
In Madison and many places across the nation, the U.S. Postal Service is working dramatically shorthanded in its busiest season. Carriers are often working 12 to 14 hour days and sometimes for seven days a week. Sometimes routes lack carriers and go undelivered. These delivery failures occur on nearly a daily basis. One of the local delivery units had 12 routes uncovered one day. Part of the problem is management's failure to hire enough carriers, but according to interviews with carriers, management's mistreatment of carriers results in high turnover rates. Supervisors are verbally abusive and do a poor job of scheduling, sometimes not informing carriers when they are supposed to work on their off days. The perennial short staffing means that carriers are overwhelmed by the long hours and suffer from exhaustion, injuries, health issues, and loss of family time. These working conditions predictably result in more resignations. Through the union grievance process, carriers have won the right of refusal, whereby they can decline to work after 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a week. However, that right does not apply during the month of December. Mail processing apparently also suffers from short staffing. Parcel volumes are particularly high in December, as many as 200 pieces or more per route, but carriers are seeing an inconsistent flow of letters and magazine-sized mail, referred to as flats. This failure to maintain an even flow of mail means that mail processing is not distributing all the mail they receive on a daily basis. Customers have noticed that they are sometimes receiving dated mail later than expected. Since carriers are working into hours of darkness and often on unfamiliar routes, customers can help by leaving porch lights on and making sure that their house numbers are well lit. Carriers are also worried that deliveries after dark might be perceived as threats, so customers should be aware that noise at the mailbox might be a late mail delivery. They also ask that the approach to the mailbox be kept clear of obstructions, such as wiring for holiday lights, decorations, tools, and toys. I'm Keith Steffen, reporting for Labor Radio. After announcing a sweeping campaign to organize non-union auto manufacturers late in November, the United Auto Workers are starting to bring union efforts at those factories to the public. Labor Radio has the report. The United Auto Workers, hot off a major strike against the big three automakers at Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, are marching forward with a campaign to unionize over 100,000 new workers at non-union automakers across the country. A new front in that campaign was opened last Thursday, when the union publicized their efforts at Volkswagen's Chattanooga assembly plant, the first public announcement of organizing efforts at specific non-union factories since the rollout of the union's stand-up campaign late last month. The plant, which opened in 2011, has been the target of a series of union campaigns by the UAW, one in 2014 and another in 2019, both of which were unsuccessful in establishing the union as the sole bargaining representative for the employees. In the wake of the 2023 strike, however, the UAW's video announcement of the renewed drive showed that the momentum is on the union side. And for years, the company and their big money allies have tried to keep us down. But times have changed and our time is now. There's no question that the workers won here. These are major, major gains that well, auto workers have not seen in decades. Auto workers at Volkswagen and Chattanooga are ready to stand up. 
In just under a week, the union stated that it has gathered over 1,000 signed union cards from among the plant's 4,000 employees. In an effort to further publicize the Chattanooga campaign, UAW President Sean Fain took to social media this week, spending nearly an hour addressing both current and prospective UAW members about the campaign in a live stream broadcast by the union on Monday. This summer, while we were in the thick of bargaining with the big three, we started noticing something unusual. First, they came one or two at a time. Auto workers reaching out to us from non-union companies about what they were seeing at the big three. Then they started coming by the dozens. They'd write in saying their companies had record profits just like the big three. And they thought they deserved record contracts, just like the UAW auto workers at Ford, GM, and Stellantis. By the time we were out on strike, the messages from non-union auto workers started pouring in by the hundreds. Fain spoke about the, quote, shameful carrots and sticks used to discourage workers from unionizing, citing hollow raises and specific violations of workers' rights across non-union plants since the launch of the stand-up campaign. According to the union's leader, the union is taking swift action against the sticks, stating that federal labor charges had been filed against Honda, Hyundai, and Volkswagen for their behavior. Our message to workers everywhere is simple. The UAW has your back, and our message to the companies is clear. An attack on a worker anywhere is an attack on workers everywhere. If you come after one auto worker, you're coming after all of us. Since his election earlier this year, and as the strike at the big three automakers unfolded, Fain has been emphatic about seizing the day in the contemporary labor movement, telling Jacobin's Alex Press that he was, quote, optimistic about the future as he left the union's convention in March. With the announcement at the Chattanooga plant, Fain says that the generation-defining opportunities in the labor movement will continue to grow if workers continue to fight. Every day I go to work, I carry my grandfather's check stub with me, and it serves as a reminder of what my grandparents' generation went through, how hard they had to fight to make the American dream a reality. And that's what inspires me now. And that's why I say, this is our generation's defining moment. It's up to us now to carry the torch on the long road to economic and social justice. We're not the first, we won't be the last, but now is our time and it's our opportunity to make it happen. You have been listening to the voice of UAW President Sean Fain. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. The U.S. Department of Labor reached a settlement with the Didlian Milling in Cambria, Wisconsin over the death of five workers and the injury of many more. The company will pay $1.8 million in penalties after the May 8th or May 2017 explosion. The company also agreed to make extensive health and safety improvements at the facility. The financial settlement comes as part of the October 2023 convictions by the federal jury of company vice president of operations Derek Clark and for safety superintendent Sean Messer. In addition, other company officials pled guilty to making false statements and falsifying logs. Workers at Madison Gas and Electric have voted to accept the new contract. On December 11th, Kelsey Hahn, chief shop steward of the Madison Gas and Electric unit, reported that, quote, your bargaining team is thrilled to announce the result of today's vote. With nearly 95% of members participating, our new contract for 2023 through 2028 was ratified unanimously, end quote. Meanwhile, at True Stage, 
OPEIU just announced that members voted to accept a new contract with the largest participation of members in years, according to the union. The union credits the work of the contract action team and community support to achieve major contract wins. The key goals were wages that kept up with inflation, protecting access to remote work, maintaining the pension, getting a strong health care package, and job security. The union made progress on all of the key issues. For example, wages will increase fi- increase 15 points, uh, sorry, 15.2% over the next four years, retroactive to 2022. The pension will be maintained for the life of the contract and move workers and more workers will be brought under the union's protection and representation. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Jimmy Coonan. Thanks to editor Frank Empsback, assistant Robin G., reporters Greg Jabowski, Sean Hangerup, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and the damage control specialist, Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffens, our reader coordinator, Alice Herman, outreach coordinator, and members of IBEW 2304, WRT Staff Collective. And I'm Rebecca Meyer-Rao. We also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise and Dave Watts and the Professor Bill Clark. <laughs>